Hello there. Welcome back to The Layman's Historian, Episode 40, The Delayer, Part 2. Last time, we covered the appointment of Quintus Fabius Maximus, the Delayer, as dictator of the Roman state, and his unpopular delaying tactics against Hannibal in Italy. Today, we will see how the latent quarrel between Fabius and his younger, hot-headed master of the horse, Minutius, at last broke out into the open and nearly spelled disaster for the Roman cause. Following Hannibal's daring breakout from Campania, Fabius's reputation in Rome lay in shambles. His illustrious lineage and past heroics forgotten, a substantial faction now demanded the dictator be replaced with a more full-blooded Roman commander. Not only had Fabius failed to exhibit the required Roman vertas, but he had even fallen short in the areas of tactics and generalship by letting Hannibal escape his trap, further shaking the Senate's already wavering confidence in his delaying strategy. Besides these open objections, dark rumors also began to surround Fabius regarding his conduct of the war. The tribunes accused him of accepting bribes from the Carthaginians, an accusation that Hannibal fueled by giving orders for his men to burn all the farmland around Fabius's, but to spare the dictator's property itself, implying an untoward understanding between Fabius and the Carthaginians. The Senate was further rankled by Fabius's efforts to negotiate the exchange and ransoms of Roman citizens held as prisoners of war in Hannibal's camp. Having agreed to exchange prisoners man for man, Fabius found that there still remained 240 Romans in enemy custody after all the Carthaginian prisoners had been released. Unwilling to let these men languish further in captivity, he agreed that the remaining 240 Roman prisoners would be ransomed at the price of 250 drachma per man. When the senators heard of this, they rebuked Fabius and issued an outright ban on paying any money to ransom the prisoners, stating coldly that it would harm the state to ransom men whose own cowardice had let them fall into the enemy's hands. Loath to break his agreement with Hannibal, Fabius instructed his son to sell some of the dictator's own property to fulfill the ransom price, and later refused all compensation from the prisoners' grateful families. Fabius endured all the subsequent reproaches and questionings from his colleagues with, in the words of Plutarch, quote, invincible patience, unquote. But that of the Senate and the people of Rome was fast wearing thin. Triumphant news from Spain doubtless cast a further shadow on the inglorious Italian front. As we remember from episode 38, Gnaeus Scipio, brother to the consul Publius Scipio, had successfully forced a landing at Emporium and driven off the local Carthaginian garrisons. Eager to halt the Roman momentum, Hannibal's brother Hasdrubal, in the spring of 217 BC, set off for the river Ebro with his land army and a small fleet of 40 ships. Getting wind of Hasdrubal's plan, Gnaeus Scipio decided on a daring attack on the naval detachment of the Carthaginian advance. Gathering his own 35 ships, Gnaeus Scipio selected an elite detachment of soldiers from the land army to serve as crack marines on each vessel before setting off to meet the enemy at the mouth of the Ebro River. Alerted to the Romans' movements by a series of local Spanish watchtowers, 
Hasdrubal tried to draw up his own 40 ships in battle array against the shoreline. The embarkation proved difficult, as the crews attempted to disengage from the Carthaginian camp and set out to sea. Livy gives us a fitting description of the chaos. Quote, Crews and sailors scrambled aboard together, more like men making a dash for safety than an organized force preparing to engage. Hardly were they all aboard before shore cables were cast off, only to bring the ships up hard against their anchors. On other vessels, to get clear quickly, anchor cables were cut, and what with the general hurry and lack of order, the soldiers in their gear got in the way of the sailors, while the sailors, in their excitement and confusion, prevented the soldiers from preparing their weapons and equipment for the coming action. End quote. What followed scarce deserved the name of a battle. The Carthaginians, caught off guard and possessing an easy escape route into their own lines behind them, offered little resistance. Two ships were captured outright, while the crews of the remainder either beached their vessels or drove them upon the nearby shallows. Not content with driving the enemy off almost without a blow, Gnaeus Scipio sailed right up to the shoreline and towed away a further 25 vessels which had been abandoned on the edge of the beach, in spite of the host of Carthaginian soldiers ashore. Although the numbers involved in the so-called Battle of the River Ebro paled in comparison to the armadas fielded during the First Punic War, it did have one important consequence, since, says Livy, quote, by one unimportant battle, the Romans had made themselves masters of the sea along that whole coast, end quote. Although the Carthaginians tried to retaliate by dispatching a fleet of 70 ships to raid the Italian coast and potentially link up with Hannibal, this expedition was quickly driven back to the capital by the consul Servilius and an overwhelming fleet of 120 ships. The Senate also dispatched Publius Scipio to join his brother Gnaeus in managing the war in Spain, for, explains Polybius, quote, so far from abandoning Iberia. The Romans regarded it as essential, not just as a means to an end, to keep the Carthaginians under pressure and to escalate the war there. The last thing they wanted to see was an enemy victory in Iberia. That would make limitless supplies and countless soldiers available to the Carthaginians, with which they could mount a more decisive challenge for naval supremacy and send troops and money to Hannibal to support the offensive in Italy. End quote. Indeed, this was a direct counter to Hannibal's original plan of invasion, whereby his Spanish base would keep him continuously supplied with men and material to prosecute the Italian campaign. By severing the link between Hannibal and Barkid Spain, Rome sought to starve Hannibal into submission while removing one of Carthage's key provinces from the table. Thus the Senate's decision to send two senior field commanders to manage the Spanish theater. Following this naval success, the Romans scored another victory off of the Carthaginians in Spain, this time by trickery rather than open battle. Reunited, the brothers Scipio crossed the Ebro to mount a direct challenge to Carthaginian supremacy in southern Spain. Once across, they headed directly for the city which had started it all, Saguntum. Besides its strong defenses and inherent propaganda value, Saguntum proved a valuable target for a rather unexpected reason. 
Before departing from Spain, Hannibal had demanded hostages from all of the local tribes. When the sons of the chiefs and nobles were duly handed over, Hannibal housed them in Saguntum to ensure their families' future good behavior. Unbeknownst to either side, an Iberian nobleman named Abelix devised a scheme to profit from the hostage situation. Relying on his reputation as a staunch Carthaginian ally, Abelix approached the local Carthaginian commander, Bostar, with a proposal. He stated that if Bostar would release the hostages to his custody, Abelix would ensure they were safely returned to their families in the interior. Abelix argued that such an unexpected act of generosity would bind the tribesmen even further to the Carthaginian cause, far more so than the threat of harm to the hostages could ever do. Bostar, whom Livy describes as, quote, not a man of much subtlety by Carthaginian standards, end quote, was intrigued. Although tasked by Hasdrubal to oppose the Roman crossing of the Ebro, his cautious and slow nature had allowed them to land unimpeded. Now, he sat cooped up around Saguntum. If he succeeded in rallying the Spanish tribes to the Carthaginian banner, it might counterbalance his failure in allowing the Romans to advance. A well-timed hint from Abelix that the hostages' families would also likely send lucrative gifts in gratitude sealed the deal. Bostar released the boys into Abelix's custody and settled down to await his reward. As you may have guessed by now, that reward never came. While Bostar had deliberated his course, Abelix opened secret negotiations with Publius Scipio. As soon as Bostar entrusted him with the children, Abelix led them straight to the Roman general. Publius Scipio lavishly rewarded his new Iberian ally, and allowed him to proceed with repatriating the hostages to their tribes and families. Along the way, Abelix spread word of the Romans' decency and generosity in returning the hostages without ransom, drawing a favorable picture against Carthage's heavy-handed exactions. Following this, many Iberians began to defect from their Carthaginian allegiance and side openly with the Romans. These twin triumphs in Spain made Fabius's own lack of achievement in Italy all the more galling. When Fabius returned to Rome to supervise religious rites, Minucius disobeyed his orders to avoid battle and defeated Hannibal's men in a small-scale skirmish. This minor victory, in conjunction with the fierce rhetoric of Minucius and his allies, soon brought about the desired effect. Unwilling to remove a man as venerable as Fabius from the dictatorship, the Senate instead elevated Minucius to have co-equal command of the army, an act unprecedented in Roman history. Even after sustaining this humiliation, Fabius kept his temper and returned to the army with an even greater determination to preserve it from his colleagues' recklessness. However, Minucius lost no time in boasting of his defeat of Fabius even more than his supposed defeat of Hannibal. At last, Minucius became so insufferable that Fabius proposed the army be divided in half. Minucius leapt at the opportunity to give full vent to his ambition and led his half of the army in search of Hannibal, while Fabius, seeking to at least preserve a portion of Rome's army should his fears be realized, 
followed slowly behind. In parting, Fabius once again admonished Minutius that it was Hannibal, not himself, with whom Minutius had to fight, but the good-natured rebuke was lost on his former lieutenant, who departed with unconcealed scorn. Hannibal, meanwhile, had kept abreast of these developments from deserters and prisoners. Perceiving that the appointment of Minutius was a return to the belligerent generalship of before, Hannibal proceeded to lay a methodical trap. Having led his army to the large grain stores of Geronium, Hannibal fortified his camp. Sure enough, Minutius followed, sending out raiders to harass Hannibal's men as they tried to forage in the countryside. Between the two camps lay a low hill, around which was what appeared at first glance to be a flat, treeless plain. Upon further inspection, though, Hannibal's scouts found numerous hollows and divots covered the ground surrounding the hill. When Minutius and Fabius were sufficiently divided, Hannibal sent four detachments of soldiers in groups of 200 and 300 to occupy these hidden recesses. In the morning, he dispatched a small band of mobile troops to hold the hill in between the camps. True to form, Minutius took the bait. He commanded his own light troops to attack the small Carthaginian detachment on the hill. Later, he sent his cavalry and finally led the heavy infantry out himself to drive the Carthaginians off. With his plan now in motion, Hannibal incrementally fed more and more troops into the fighting around the hill until the enemy was fully engaged. Just when the Roman skirmishers had been pushed back, disrupting the ranks of the legionaries, Hannibal sprung his trap. At a signal, his concealed troops burst out of their hiding places and fell upon the Roman flanks and rear. Suddenly surrounded on all sides, Minutius's men became terrified and sought for a way of escape. Minutius himself watched helplessly as the Numidian horsemen cut down fugitives from his army on all sides. Fabius, however, had not been idle. Situated on a nearby hill, he had kept his men in readiness and personally watched the battle unfold. Seeing his colleague's critical situation, he struck his thigh and exclaimed, quote, O Hercules, how much sooner than I expected, though later than he seemed to desire, hath Minutius destroyed himself. We must make haste to rescue Minutius, who is a valiant man and lover of his country, and if he hath been too forward to engage the enemy, at another time we will tell him of it. End quote. With this generous impulse, Fabius led his men in full battle array to deliver his countrymen. When the routing Romans under Minutius saw the long line of advancing legionaries, they took heart and returned to the ranks. Before Fabius could come to grips with his own lines, Hannibal, fearing to be enveloped in turn, sounded the retreat, quipping to his friends in the words of Plutarch, quote, Did I not tell you that this cloud which always hovered upon the mountains would, at some time or other, come down with a storm upon us? End quote. With the field secure, Fabius returned to his own camp. Upon entering his camp, Minutius called his men together and said, quote, To conduct great matters and never commit a fault is above the force of human nature. But to learn and improve by the faults we have committed is that which becomes a good and sensible man. Some reasons I may have to accuse fortune, but I have many more to thank her 
for in a few hours she hath cured a long mistake, and taught me that I am not the man who should command others, but have need of another to command me, and that we are not to contend for victory over those to whom it is our advantage to yield. Therefore, in everything else henceforth the dictator must be your commander. Only in showing gratitude towards him I will still be your leader, and always be the first to obey his orders. End quote. With these words, Minutius gave orders to return to Fabius's camp. Upon arrival, Minutius laid his eagles at Fabius's feet and saluted him as father, while his soldiers called their fellow comrades patrons, a term used by freed slaves to those who gave them their liberty. After this greeting, Plutarch reports Minutius said, quote, You have this day, O dictator, obtained two victories one by your valor and conduct over Hannibal, and another by your wisdom and goodness over your colleague. By one victory you preserved, and by the other instructed us. And when we were already suffering one shameful defeat from Hannibal, by another welcome one from you, we were restored to honor and safety. I can address you by no nobler name than that of a kind father, though a father's beneficence falls short of that I have received from you. From a father I individually received the gift of life. To you I owe its preservation not for myself only, but for all these who are under me. End quote. With reconciliation complete, the soldiers once again greeted each other as brothers, and Fabius, vindicated at last, resumed complete, unchallenged command. By his single-minded dedication to the public good, Fabius had saved Rome from another disaster, which threatened to be nearly as devastating as Trebia or Trasimene. The Battle of Geronium, which Hannibal had come so close to turning into a decisive victory, had instead become a bloody draw. Yet Fabius's term as dictator was coming to an end, and he would not always be there to restrain his more impetuous colleagues. Minutius might have been humbled, but there were others like him eager to take his place. Hannibal foresaw this clearly, and so bided his time. Despite the success of his strategy to rebuild Rome's army, Fabius's term as dictator was not renewed when it expired in December 217 BC. The consular elections resumed, and two men were chosen to lead Rome's armies for the coming year, Lucius Aemilius Paulus and Gaius Terentius Varro. In the meantime, Hannibal remained at Geronium throughout the winter and spring of 216 BC, with no major action ensuing. However, in June 216 BC, he led his men to the Roman town of Cannae. Next time, we will cover Rome's darkest day. Until then, take care and read more history.